0: Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the Monday edition, the podcast, of course, that comes from justthenews.com, where today we're gonna have two amazing guests, not one, but two. Up first will be Tom Fitton at Judicial Watch. We'll ask him to react to the Christopher Steele interview with ABC News that was published early this morning in which Christopher Steele doubles and triples down on his dossier that has been discredited by every major intelligence and law enforcement agency that has looked at it and then we're going to go out to missouri and talk to my good friend currently running for u.s senate eric greitens a former governor of missouri a former navy seal who last week went down to the border and went into mexico and took a look at what illegal immigrants were doing to try to illegally enter the country and what what he found was they dumped their passports so that they'd have no identity papers when they came in claiming asylum or claiming need to be in the country. And in that scenario, he went and picked up some of the passports of people who dumped them on the sidewalk, dumped them on the ground. They were from the Middle East, from Iran, from all sorts of other places, raising the question, are we really vetting and do we even know who the Biden administration has allowed to enter this country illegally with the assistance and the blessing of the United States government? We're going to cover both of those things. now. I know you've heard enough about the Steele dossier, right? You don't want to talk about it again. But Christopher Steele is forcing us to do that, have that conversation one more time. That's right, because overnight, early this morning, ABC News released an interview they've done with Christopher Steele in which he argues that the dossier, the work he did was professional, that it was okay, that he stands by it. Even though the FBI, Robert Mueller's investigation, John Durham's investigation, the intelligence community, a British judge, have all found it to be deeply flawed and uncorroborated. Let's listen to what Christopher Steele had to say about the document we now know as the Steele dossier. So you stand by the dossier? I stand by the work we did, the sources that we had, and the professionalism which we applied to it. All right, so it's professional. He stands by the work. Well, let's go through what we now know to be the truth about the dossier. And let's start with the FBI, the agency that he approached. The FBI kept a spreadsheet, which I have made public and which I will make public again tonight in a follow-up story. You can go to justinnews.com tonight and you'll be able to see this. The spreadsheet evaluated every sentence of the dossier, which is a series of about 16, 17 memos and gauged it for truthfulness, corroboration, verification. And what it found was about 90%, the vast majority of statements in the dossier were not valuable intelligence. They were uncorroborated, unverified information, meaning information that could never be verified despite all the vast efforts and tools of the United States government, information that was completely debunked, like Michael Cohen, the Trump lawyer's alleged trip, to Prague, which by the way, didn't happen, or was internet rumor and junk rumor, or was assessed to be Russian disinformation inserted into steel source network by Russian intelligence. So the vast majority of the information that the FBI evaluated from the dossier was uncorroborated, debunked, Russian disinformation, or internet rumor garbage. Not a very strong product to be doubling down on. Not a professional product. But let's just keep going through all the different instances of what we know. Now, the Mueller report thought so highly of the Steele dossier, it didn't mention it one bit. Not one bit. So, Mueller didn't think much of it, right? Now, let's go on to the friend of Christopher Steele, a guy named Bruce Orr. At the time in 2016, the associate attorney general at the Justice Department, one of the highest ranking officials in the Justice Department. He speaks out and tells the FBI after Christopher Steele gives him information to give to the FBI, hey, this guy wants to get rid of Trump. He's got a political motive. He's working in some capacity with Hillary Clinton's campaign. So it's election related work. And most of the information in there is unverified, raw source stuff. Be careful. Evaluate it. Don't trust it at face value. Okay, so our friend of Christopher Steele's is saying that, and he warns the FBI about that. Now, let's go to the State Department, one of the places where Christopher Steele went. Now, we know the FBI fired Christopher Steele on November 1st, 2016, for illegally leaking to the news media, divulging his confidential work to the FBI, to the news media, right? All right, so he's already fired, but before that happens... He breaks protocol a second time because when you're an FBI informant, you're not supposed to go anywhere except to the FBI. You have this exclusivity, this obligation to be quiet so that your work doesn't get discovered, your undercover work. But he goes to the State Department without the FBI's authorization, and he talks to a woman named Kathleen Kavlik. And there, he's admitting that as an FBI informant, he's been leaking to the news media, that he's unhappy and wants to defeat Trump, Okay and that he gives some specific information to the state department officials to relay to the FBI. And that information is that there is a funding operation in which the Russians are funding their efforts for cyber efforts to influence the 2016 election. And it's being routed through the Russian consulate in Miami and being at the state department, Kathleen Kavalek immediately reacted to that statement. You know why there was no Russian consulate in Miami There wasn't. She has to write down to the FBI, hey, he told me this, but it's full of baloney. And also, he mentioned a Russian official who was, he said, on U.S. soil running the operation. She checked his immigration records. The guy hadn't been in the United States for months. So she poo-poos it. In addition to warning the FBI that he's leaking to the media and working for Hillary Clinton or the DNC. All right, now let's go to a British judge. A British judge who last year evaluated the Steele dossier's claims about a couple of Russian bankers who were portrayed disparagingly in his dossier. They sued under, not under defamation laws or libel laws, but under a data privacy law. And the judge who evaluated all the evidence, including Christopher Steele's own testimony, said Christopher Steele didn't do enough due diligence. He didn't spend enough time trying to verify Information that he then put in the dossier and gave to people. And yes, that was a violation of British law. He ruled against Christopher Steele, basically saying that at least a portion of the dossier was bad work, didn't take the time to do it. Now, in that case, Christopher Steele gave testimony. What was his testimony? Most times when I got information, I immediately put it into the dossier. There wasn't a lot of time difference. Well, that means he didn't do a lot of verification, checking, fact-checking which would explain why the FBI found all those problems in their spreadsheet evaluating his thing. Now, if that isn't enough, that Christopher Steele's own words disown some of the information, let's go to his primary subsource. Yep, the primary subsource, the Russian guy, the guy who was allegedly bringing back information from Russia. Now, it's important to note that Christopher Steele was making an allegation about Russia without ever going to Russia during this time frame. That's what he testified to the British authorities. He didn't even go to Russia. Didn't even bother to go to Russia and check this information out. Kind of lazy. Imagine if you were doing a investigation on Spain, you didn't go to Spain, you're an FBI agent. You'd have any resources there. Would you be trusted? I don't think so. But in the course of that interview, the subsource the person who gave managed the subnetwork and gave Steele the information. Basically, a lot, you know, a lot of this was just bar rumor. I didn't mean it to be put into intelligence reports and then they walk him through some specific things that are attributed to the subsource or the subsource is alleged information from networks. And he said, "I didn't say that. I don't know where that came from. That's not what I said. That's not accurate. Oh, that was bar talk." He disowns and disparages Steele's own report of the alleged comments this source made. He disowns. He steps away from something. Saying, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say those. Two. I don't know where Christopher Steele got that. It wasn't from me. So his own subsource. So you got the FBI, the British, the State Department, Robert Mueller, all disowning, a British judge, all disparaging this dossier as bad work. And Christopher Steele still doubling down on it. But let's go to the last piece of evidence, the last thing in evidence. A year after he's fired by the FBI for leaking, Christopher Steele is interviewed by the FBI. They come back to him. And in that interview, he acknowledged that his goal was to defeat Donald Trump, just like Bruce Orr had told the FBI Euro. He acknowledged a partisan motive, an election motive, he also apologized for leaking, saying that was inappropriate of me to leak a dossier that I was giving to the FBI under a confidential human source agreement. Even Christopher Steele, before his television lights went on this weekend, disowned his behavior, his conduct in the creation and dissemination of the dossier. If Chris Steele won't, in an earlier interview, stand behind things, then why should you? We're gonna put all these documents, all this information into a nice summary on just the news. When you wake up in the morning, tomorrow it'll be available. You can download each document. If your friends are saying, "Oh, listen, I saw him on TV. I like this guy, trust him. I bet he's telling the truth. Show them these documents. Have them give an independent look to the actual facts. Something that I don't think George Stephanopoulos did a very good job. He's an apologist for the Clintons. I used to work for the Clintons. And he didn't ask the hard questions. He didn't confront Steele that I see with a lot of the conflicting information. He kind of just got Steele's side of the story, which isn't that compelling when you hear all that other stuff. All right, now we're going to go take a quick commercial break. When we come back, first up... Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch. We're going to get his reaction to the Christopher Steele interview because it was his lawsuits at Judicial Watch that unearthed a lot of the information that today debunks challenges, questions, the accuracy, the reliability of the Steele dossier. We'll be back with Tom Fitton right after this commercial break. Join now at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us forward slash justnews. Hey, folks, can your IRA or 401k stand up to the next financial crisis that our top economists are saying is right at our doorstep? By allocating a percentage of your retirement into physical gold and silver with a tax-free rollover, you can diversify and safeguard your holdings from a turbulent market. And economic downturns. All you got to do is put your IRA back on the gold standard. With a multi-trillion dollar trade deficit and ongoing geopolitical instability, experts say now is the time to make the switch. Find out how to safeguard your assets with a tax-free rollover with a Genesis Gold IRA, the only IRA that can hold physical precious metals. Protect your retirement today with one simple phone call and receive your free gold and silver guide from my good friends at Genesis Gold. To do that, call Genesis Gold Group today at 800-200- All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very good friend of this show, a very good friend of Truth in America joining us right now, Tom Fitton, the head of Judicial Watch is here. Tom, welcome back to the show. Hey, good to be with you again, John. Appreciate the good word. I was thinking of you all last night as these clips started to play from the Christopher Steele interview. Uh, Your first reaction to, uh, to everything he said last night about his professional product.
1: Well, I was disappointed that ABC and Hulu gave him, you know, more time to spread this this disinformation. And, uh, you know, he's been, uh, in my view, thoroughly debunked uh, by official and unofficial investigation documents you've uncovered, we've uncovered, the IG has uncovered. And I'd like to know why, and maybe he already has been, but he should be before grand juries here in the United States, given the, uh, uh, the misuse and abuse and collusion with the FBI
0: and and the, and the crimes, in my view, that he committed against President Trump. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, there's no doubt that he gave a notoriously bogus <laughs> document to the FBI. Why do you think he surfaces now, a month after Sussman is indicted uh, for giving information to the FBI that also turned out to be bogus? Any idea? Could you ascertain from watching it what the motivation was for him to speak?
1: I don't, although I think you kind of point to in the general direction as to what's happening here is that uh, they see more bad news coming from the Durham investigation, whether it be through prosecutions or a report fault finally, uh, but we'll see. You know. But I, I think one thing we should all think about is steel is only part of the problem. The more significant, you know, they're always going to be operatives trying to shop yep. garbage. To That's media. true. You know, but they were never able really to get, federal law enforcement to pursue the garbage and in this case they were and you, when you look at Steele you have to remember he not only worked for Hillary Clinton and the DNC but at the same time he was working for the FBI so in many ways it was a joint operation we uncovered the, the of 11 times the 13 times he met before he was fired with the FBI in 2016 11 of those times he was paid yeah. and then even after they realized that he was leaking He was an operative of the Clinton campaign. Of course, they already knew that. Right. They were still giving him inside information, including confirming to him and therefore the Clinton campaign that the FBI was investigating Trump. And of course, we're squeaked out
2: almost immediately yeah
0: no it's it's amazing it, it, the symbiosis between media political operatives with the fbi was an accordion going back and forth the information and that's what created the bogus story perhaps the most significant documents to come out the first ones that really shook the ground beneath the Steele dossier was your work unmasking the bruce Orr emails the bruce or fbi 302s bruce Orr is one of those intermediaries that walks this dossier into the top of the fbi and he himself had really serious reservations about the document, didn't he? Uh, he did, but it didn't stop him yeah. uh, from Funny thing.
1: promoting it.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: and and acting as an intermediary for the FBI who relied on Steele because they were nervous because the dossier wasn't panning out. So what did, but they, of course, had fired Steele. So what did they try to do? They tried to use or to run again Christopher Steele. And so despite them knowing in November 2016 earlier that what Steele was selling was garbage, they were so desperate to get Trump that they continued into the Trump administration to use Bruce Orr to try to draw whatever additional information Steele had out in an effort to get Trump. You know, Steele isn't the problem in many ways. It was the Comeys and and as has been renoted again this week, Andrew McCabe and Peter Strzok and people like that who wanted the use steal to get their political opponent, Donald Trump. But again, you know, if if they're all private actors, more power to them. First Amendment, God bless America. But as FBI agents and officials,
0: they were likely in violation of the law. Yeah, and that's that's where John Durham, slow and plotting as he is, seems to be focused on as we head to the next version of this. It seems to be two arcs, right? Was there an operation to feed false information to the FBI? And then was there an operation inside the FBI to feed false information to the courts and Congress? I know you're frustrated, and I think everyone is, how slow Durham is. Did you take any heart in the Sussman indictment that he seems to be hinting at more to come?
1: My view is he wouldn't have put that at material basically implicating Hillary Clinton in criminal activity and her campaign, in there if he was just focused on a report as well. He was kind of preparing for further indictments
0: but we'll see so if it's a beginning it's wonderful if it's the end it will be disappointing but we'll see yeah very important stuff when you step back now and you look at words like you know Bruce or warning right from the beginning hey this guy's got a motive against Donald Trump he's trying to do that you see Kathleen Kavlak's note he's leaking to the media you look through the spreadsheet of the FBI 90% of the statements in the dossier they could never verify and many they debunked then the CIA comes in and says this guy's getting fed Russian disinformation how did this this continued to get two, two two and a half years of air, not only in the news media, but also inside official agencies like the State Department, the FBI, the Justice Department, the special counsel's office.
1: Well, because you're assuming that the well, I don't say you're assuming, but if you're presuming that there's a law enforcement purpose to what they're doing, that makes no sense. But yeah. there's a political purpose that makes perfect sense. And That's what happened it. was, remember, Sessions was frozen out of the investigation early on. And the Justice Department was frozen from doing anything other than going after Trump. Right. And we know, and this is what has been frustrating about Durham, you know, Mueller knew what he had, but then almost immediately upon entering. I mean, it took a few months to kind of put some loose ends together. But his cases were over by the end of the year. Indeed, by February of the next year, 2018, I believe, they admitted there was no there. there, no American knowingly colluded with the Russians. Yeah. So that part of the case was over. There was obviously no obstruction of justice, either specifically, you know, technically or arguably in the sense that uh, Trump had every right in the world as president to fire James Comey. So they just kept on going along to see what might happen. And then the one good thing Barr did was he came in, saw what was going on and shut Mueller down. Yeah. So the best thing that Trump did, two great things, he fired Comey. And unfortunately, for Sessions, who just refused to do anything, he had to fire Sessions to kind of break this log jam and stop this corruption. And Barr came in and shut it down. Yeah. So uh, that's that's what happened. And it would have been going through the campaign, I'm convinced, the reelection campaign. If Barr hadn't shown up to to stop this abuse,
0: yeah, and also I think your early work, those twenty nineteen lawsuits, are so important. You, I look back now, and write something tomorrow on this. I look back how important Judicial Watch's work was, getting those early documents and realizing for the first time, wow, this really was a political dirty trick. Is there any documents that you still would like to see? Are you suing? What what pieces? of history in the Steele dossier or the FBI Russia probe would you still like to see exposed?
1: Well, you know, we're probably better than I do what we need. Uh, But, you know, we were just in court a few weeks ago. They're still hiding the infamous or portions of the infamous electronic communication, which is the Memo: Peter Strzok wrote to himself, authorizing himself right. to initiate an unprecedented <laughs> counterintelligence counterintelligence yep. investigation into, into the presidential campaign. Again, yeah. incredible. Yeah, it is. And but you know, who were his sources? What other governments were involved in these shenanigans? Yep. They're hiding from us. So there's still a lot of cover-up going on. And you know, I don't expect to get much justice here from the Justice Department. We'll see if the courts finally get something to be dislodged here. And of course, you know, whatever Dura does, there'll be some educational value right. uh, in, in getting some more information out through whatever public disclosure she's ultimately able to make. And certainly even indictments can be very educational, as we saw with Sussman's indictment that implicated, as I said, the
0: Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee in defrauding the government. Yeah, such an important thing. Well, one thing we can rest assured, you won't stop until you get the information the American public uh, deserves. Right. And you've you've been uh, just remarkable that way, Tom. Thanks so much. I want to get your reaction because no one has, I think, cracked this case more wide open than you guys at Judicial Watch. So bravo. Thank you, John. Good work as well. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we've got more remarkable guests just ahead. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax advantaged, aligned with your values and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special friend, a guy I've really gotten to know over the last couple of years, a Navy SEAL, the former governor of Missouri, a true American hero, and now the Senate candidate in Missouri for a U.S. Senate nomination next year. Joining me is a familiar name, Eric Greitens. Eric, welcome back to the show.
2: John, thank you so much for having
0: me back. It is an
2: honor to be back with you and the whole whole team at Just the News, sir. Thank you so much.
0: Well, every time I uh, have you back on, you go up in the poll numbers before you come on. There's something great going on. I I just saw the poll that Sophie Mann wrote, and uh, you're up 2-1 to on any other Republican in the race. That's that's an impressive accomplishment this early into the race. Uh, How are things in Missouri going for you?
2: Thank you. We are dominating this race. Uh, I'm in the race for the U.S. Senate in Missouri. And the reason why we're dominating is because I'm the America first candidate in this race. I think people recognize right now that the country is in crisis. They watch what Joe Biden is doing. They watch him debasing the currency, the violence in the inner cities, the disaster in Afghanistan, the crisis at the southern border. And they recognize that we need to have fighters. We need to have leaders who are willing to step forward. And, you know, the people of Missouri know me as as a Navy SEAL. They know me as a guy who helped uh, my fellow returning veterans when they came home wounded and disabled from Afghanistan and Iraq. And they know me as somebody who fought for them against the regime media, against the leftists and against also, you know, the the Republican establishment, part of which uh, was corrupt and needed to be fought they recognize it. I've always fought for them, and that's why we're we're dominating this race right now.
0: Yeah, and I know a lot of people uh, were frustrated how short uh, your tenure as governor was. Uh, it was cut short by a Bobby yes. scandal, and I think that idea of getting back the guy they elected in uh, 2016 is is got to be part of the of the dynamic. And I want to get that in a second because I want to talk about the prosecutor that pursued you because she gets in deeper and deeper trouble every day. Uh, but you yeah. did something special. You went down to the border uh, with some of our friends at RAV, Ben Burkwam and others, and you saw firsthand what's going on. And, of course, you've got a national security perspective, a Navy SEALs perspective. What did you learn at the border? What were some of the shocks that even shocked you?
2: Well, it, as, as you said, John, it's always important to go to the front line. You have to, as a leader, you have to go down and see things for yourself. So I went down first to Del Rio, Texas, uh, which all of your listeners will remember. That was most recently the site where 15,000 Haitians were crossed the border into Del Rio, Texas. I know you guys covered that uh, on just the news. But then what I also did, John, is I went across the border. I went into Mexico into Ciudad Acuna because I wanted to be able to show people and tell people what was really happening as you approached the American border and to give them a sense for what was there. So here's, here's what's shocking, John. He said, when you walk up to the river, you see trash everywhere. This isn't surprising. You see water bottles, you see, you know, thrown down food wrappers, but what you also see, Are literally hundreds of ID cards because before people cross the border into the United States and let's be clear what the border means at this point. This is a 90 second walk across a river, which is about three feet deep at its largest point as people before they walk across the river, they throw their IDs on the ground. And the reason why they do that is that under the Biden administration policies, when they walk across the border, they they're not trying to sneak in. They walk straight up to Customs and Border Patrol They actually go and find them. The Customs and Border Patrol agents then take them to the nearest office at that office. The migrants then give them whatever name it is that they want to give them. That name is written down on a piece of paper. They are told to report to court in 90 days, and then they're released into the United States of America. And what was most shocking when we went down there is I'm actually holding in my hand right now an ID from Egypt. I am Muhammad Ali, who is now in the United States of America. I found IDs from the United Arab Emirates. And in fact, there was a Nigerian who had been in the United Arab Emirates, who's now in the United States of America, who crossed over from Mexico. We talked with our National Guard troops who, who found people coming across from Iran. I'm sitting here at my desk, and this took me about eight minutes to grab all of this stuff. I've got IDs from, Ur- IDs from Uruguay, IDs from Haiti, IDs from Argentina, IDs from Cuba, IDs from Senegal. This is literally an open international border. And one of the things that I think hasn't been covered yet is the massive terrorist threat that this poses. Now, we of course cannot know for any individual who's crossing what their story is, but we know if people are coming across from Egypt, they're coming across from a country which has a large Muslim Brotherhood sure. um, faction, where there's been a long standing conflict with Islamic militants in the Sinai Peninsula. It's interesting, the idea that I picked up from the United Arab Emirates was of a Nigerian. In the UAE, they just arrested six Nigerians associated with Boko Haram who were in the UAE for terrorist financing. Now, again, we don't know for these particular individuals, but what I know as a Navy SEAL is that we face an incredibly determined, ruthless, intelligent enemy in the Taliban, in Al Qaeda, in Jama'a Islamiyah, in Abu Sayyaf, in the Muslim Brotherhood, all of whom wish death and destruction on american citizens and president biden has opened the border to terrorists
0: man this just makes me uh, sweat to hear this i mean you just we we have this moment where for two years we tightened that border up we had some of the best security the lowest numbers and now we have no idea who's walking in why do they dump the ids is it because if they don't have an id the government can't object to who they are is that is that part of the scam
2: yeah well part of the idea is that once they've dropped their ids They can go up to the Customs and Border Patrol and they can tell them any name they want, give them any story they want. And so, for example, if they claim that they are uh, seeking refugee status in the United States of America, they might give them any particular name, any particular backstory that's going to help them to... Uh, be admitted into the United States. They all know the game at this point. People across the world who want to get into the United States have all received the briefing that yep. all you need to do is go to Mexico, you walk across the border, you tell the Customs and Border Patrol a story, and you get to come into the United States of America. Wow.
0: Man, that is, that is so disheartening to hear that, and it's you know it's systematized now.
2: And one of the things that's really striking, John, so we walked, uh, we were in Ciudad Acuna, um, and we walked, uh, we left the village, we walked down about, take about 45 seconds to, to, you walk from the village down to the border, and we were there for about three and a half minutes when the first group of four people came walking across. Then we were there for another three minutes. Another group of three people came across. Seven minutes later, a group of five came across. This is a massive migration of human beings straight into the United States of America. And the Customs and Border Patrol agents estimate that this month alone, in the month of October, between 600,000 to a million people are going to cross into the United States this month. Wow. And it's important to, to, to say that again. In the month of October, 600,000 to a million people. You'll see uh, numbers, you know, for example, the numbers from August were something like 209,000 contacts. But the, the Customs and Border Patrol, A, estimates that more people are coming across in October. And B, their estimate is that they only contact one-third to one-fifth of the people who are actually coming across. So of those, you know, 200, 250,000 contacts that they will have this month, they think that that's only a third to the fifth of the people who are actually coming across into the United States of America. Wow. I mean, those are staggering numbers.
0: Staggering numbers.
2: They're staggering numbers. I mean, the, the, the state of Missouri has a population of a little over 6 million. <sighs> And so within six months, within six months, we will have the entire population of the state of Missouri will have crossed over into the border. And the problem is growing. It's gotten worse and worse. You know, Joe Biden started at the very beginning of his administration. He ended construction of the border wall. And I went down there. I visited. You can see very plainly the wall that was being built. You can see exactly where it stopped stopped Yeah, frozen in time. And he also uh, told the Customs and Border Patrol that they could not enforce uh, enforce American law. Um, just recently, they announced that they were going to stop doing raids on on employers who might be employing illegal immigrants. So all of this is part of a purpose built plan. This is not by accident. This is not incompetence. This is part of biden's design and it's having deadly consequences um, not just for for americans but also unfortunately and perhaps most sadly for some of the most vulnerable children in the world
0: that is an important part here because the rhetoric we hear is that you know we're trying to help future dreamers we're trying to help children but the conditions you saw for the kids the people they were hanging around what was that like are we treating these children humanely as part of this process
2: Yeah, one of the things that is so sad, John, is that is that Joe Biden and the Mexican drug gangs and cartels that he has empowered are now the largest child traffickers and human traffickers in the world. Uh, We met with one Customs and Border Patrol agent who told us he met a kid who was sold 17 times. So um, the, the people understand that if they walk across the border and they present themselves as a family, that they're almost guaranteed entry into the United States of America. Well, what that does, of course, is it creates an incentive for people to cross with kids. What that means is that unfortunately, there is now a market for children who are being sold, who are being used and abused, and what happens is that they will cross the border with individuals posing as a family. Once they get across the border, someone from one of the cartels will take the kid send them back or sell them back across the border, and they're used again. We heard some really horrific stories about some of the abuse that these kids receive. And again, they can't know for certain, uh, but their estimates are that you know upwards of 33% of the kids who are crossing the border are actually not with their families and are in fact being trafficked. It is a really, really horrible situation um, one of the other things I did, John, is I went to, on the Mexican side of the border, yeah. the Mexican government there, the local government in Ciudad Acuna, they've actually set up a mass shelter. And the reason why they've done that is that there's so many people coming through the city, they don't want all of those migrants to create problems in Ciudad Acuna in Mexico, And in that in that shelter, it reminded me of a lot of the humanitarian work that I had done in the past with uh, Bosnian refugees, with Rwandan refugees, with with kids in in Cambodia. Right. Uh, We walked in and there were dozens and dozens of children who were there, some of whom were with parents, others of whom were clearly being abused and who had been trafficked. In this process. So, this is a cruel policy. It's wrong on many levels, but it is a cruel policy and it is hurting some of the most vulnerable children in the world. And that's just one of the reasons why this policy has to end right now.
0: It is um, really striking because the storyline the Democrats have and the actual reality that they've created are completely opposite. They're not helping these children. They're putting them in these horrific circumstances, all yeah. in the name of trying to get them in the country. It just doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's just terrible. It
2: is really harmful to these children. And it is obviously you know, it has devastating effects in, in so many ways. Uh, one of the other big consequences that, that hasn't gotten enough attention is it because the border is essentially open now, it's also made it much easier to cross with drugs. Right. So in Missouri, uh, for example, we unfortunately lose far too many kids uh, to the drug crisis. Everyone has particular stories about what's happened with fentanyl, with heroin in their own communities. Uh, I've lost, lost a cousin, had good friends, who have lost family members as a result. And, you know, as governor, I talk with lots of people who are affected by this. And so what happens is I mentioned at the first crossing where we went to these families just kind of brazenly or people presenting themselves as families brazenly walking across and walking up to the Customs and Border Patrol. Well, that also this huge movement also demands tremendous attention attention from Customs and Border Patrol and from law enforcement. Well, the people who also know that are the drug gangs. So we also went to an area in the river where there's actually much more dense foliage and it provides tremendous concealment for people who essentially can walk through this park. They walk through uh, what, what amounts to some very dense concealment, walk up to a part of the river, which again is very shallow, but is very hard to observe. They have great communications with people on the other side of the border, actually using satellite encrypted communication. They make sure that the other side of the border is clear of law enforcement and they're moving tens of millions of dollars in drugs across the border into the United States of America where they come in to affect communities all over the country.
0: Just amazing. It's such an important thing that we need to focus on. Now, I want to pivot a little bit to Missouri yeah. politics and the Missouri thing. So, we here at Justin News were among those who did a lot of the reporting that unraveled. Kimberly Gardner's false case against you. Yeah. Uh, obviously the charges were dropped, but she's now been found to have committed more than 60 professional offenses as a lawyer. February of next year, there's going to be a disciplinary hearing. She could very well lose her license, which would make her ineffective as a prosecutor. How has that story affected Missourians who you know, were sold the bill of goods in 2018 only to find out it wasn't true, and now they're seeing that prosecutor be held to account for a really what was a malicious and false prosecution. Has the storyline in Missouri changed enough? Do people realize what that prosecutor did?
2: Well, people are learning about it. The story has certainly penetrated more in Missouri than it has around the country. But yes, people recognize now that I was attacked because I stood up for our police officers. Uh, we defeated Antifa and Black Lives Matter when they came to the state of Missouri, we protected everyone's constitutional rights. Uh, We had the backs of our police officers. And after that, I was targeted by a George Soros funded prosecutor. And if you ask people in Missouri, they they know that something was wrong. They may not know that that George Soros funded prosecutor's lead investigator has been charged with seven felonies for perjury and evidence tampering for creating a false case against me. They may not know that she uh, was found by the office that investigated her to have lied, committed perjury, to have created over, you know, over 60 offenses. Uh, as you mentioned, she may be on the verge of losing her law license. They, they may not know that a journalist has now admitted to paying $120,000 in cash bribes to people who lied about me. So they may not know all of the particular details, but people know that because I stood up and fought for them, we were targeted by the left, targeted by a Soros-funded prosecutor. Yeah. And that, it's certainly making a difference on the ground, in part because all of that happened to, to me and it happened to us in Missouri before the Trump Russia collusion hoax was exposed. Yep. It happened before the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. It happened before all of these things. Where now people really recognize, because of your courageous reporting and others, they recognize the way that sometimes the the mainstream media can be weaponized by uh, leftists, by prosecutors, and others who have an agenda to politically attack people. So we've had a tremendous amount uh, of support here from people who said, hey, I was behind you before. I'm even more behind you now, and we uh, got to get you back in there because we need a fighter.
0: Yeah, it's such an important storyline because the parallels between what happened in Russia collusion and what happened to you are very similar. A weaponization of the legal process, the prosecution process, the investigative process, and at the end of the day, the storyline presented to the court, presented to the American public, the storyline that forced you to resign as governor turns out to be contrived. It was never true. And in fact, prosecutors knew it was untrue when they presented it. It is, it is a remarkable thing to, to see uh, it takes five, four, five years, right? That, that, that started in seventeen. We're in twenty twenty one. She'll face discipline in twenty twenty two. It took five years for justice to occur. It's uh, something we've got to speed up and also prevent from happening. Really, really remarkable. How is the race on the ground going? It's uh, obviously you and Eric Schmidt are probably the two front runners. You're two to one against him, so he's not much of a front runner. You're you're firmly in the seat as you go around the uh, state of Missouri. What is the mood of the electorate, and how is the Biden agenda playing in everyday Missourians?
2: Well, you know, a, a couple couple of thoughts on that. Uh, Yet we're dominating the race. One of the reasons why we're dominating the race is the people recognize that I have always had the backs of and supported our law enforcement officers. So Missouri is a state of of only 6 million people. But we have two of the most violent 10 cities in the country in St. Louis and in Kansas City. We've seen over the course of the past year the way that the murder rate has skyrocketed. That has happened also here in the state of Missouri. 30% increase in homicides, which is the largest increase uh, ever recorded. I think the largest previous might have been in the late 1960s, about a 12% increase in homicides. So this is really staggering. And I think, you know, just one one brief story that I think illustrates what the people of Missouri are, are thinking about and how this all comes together is that, you know, you think about those 30% uh, increase in homicides, that translates to 5,000 additional American citizens who've lost their lives. <sighs> 5,000 American citizens who've lost their lives as a result of these policies. And, you know, just one, one quick story. Last summer um, I was actually, I was on a Tucker Carlson show. He was asking me about how as governor, we defeated Antifa and how we defeated uh, black lives matter. When they came to Missouri, I told him the story Uh, later that night, I went out with a buddy and we were uh, having Uh, having dinner at a restaurant outside near one of the nicest corners in the city of St. Louis. It's near uh, the Powell Symphony Hall. It's near the Opera House, near St. Louis University, this big, beautiful church. It was the summer. It was still still light outside. Uh, We're eating outside, and we heard 15 to 25 automatic gunshots go off. I carry a pistol. I have a med kit in my car. My buddy is a firefighter, special operations medic. He jumped in the passenger seat. We jumped in my car. We drove up about 50 yards to the scene of the shooting, which, you know, again, it sounded just like Iraq or Afghanistan Mm. to me. We jumped out and we started working on the first casualty who was there. Eventually we, we started working on the second as well. Two wonderful young men who were there, both of whom unfortunately passed away that night. These are two great kids, not a parking ticket between them, uh, wonderful kids, both high school graduates, both working during the coronavirus pandemic, both had done internships, wonderful families, great futures ahead of them, and both of their lives were lost. I went and I met with both of the families because you know they wanted to, to hear what you know their, their son's final moments were like. And just, just a, a quick story that paints the difference between the common sense and the courage of, of average people and the, the politicized cruelty uh, on the other side. So one of the young men who died was named Harry Bagsby. His brother, Jason, uh, who I met with, decided, he said, you know what, I don't want this to happen to anybody else. And after all of the tragedy he'd been through, all of the hardship, Jason decided to enter the police academy. And today, as we're talking, he is on the streets of St. Louis serving the people of St. Louis as a police officer. That's the kind of courage and, and common sense and support for the police that, that exists on the ground. Now, what's really cruel about this story is that the police went to work on the case and they found the car that was used in the shooting. Wow. They found the fingerprints of the killer in the car. They found the killer. They brought him in, and he gave a videotaped confession. Every element of his confession, John, matched all of the videotaped evidence from the scene. They then took all of this evidence to Kim Gardner, the George Soros-funded prosecutor. They took the car, the fingerprints, the videotaped confession, the videotaped evidence from the scene. And Kim Gardner said, no thanks, I'm not going to prosecute.
0: Unreal. That is the consequence of having partisan prosecutors instead of those who yeah. follow the law. And uh, your, your yeah. case, that case there, what a compelling case. And also, what an act of civic duty. I mean, I don't think people understand how you, you want to help this uh, wounded child, this wounded student, when other people are probably just standing around. That's the sort of guy I know you to be because I've gotten to know you so well. But what a... What a great moment for that family to know that in their dying moments, their child had someone that cared for them right to the last breath. And uh, those things can't be forgotten. Uh, that's the sort of person I've known you to be. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Well, this is going to be one of the big races next year, guys. Keep an eye on the Missouri Senate race. It's going to be a bellwether for the country. When you look out right now, uh, I think things are looking up for Republicans. Just the way we're uh, we're seeing the polling numbers lined up, the Biden uh, the Biden agenda really isn't uh, making America thrilled. In fact, it's kind of turned them off, isn't it? Is that the sense you have?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, people have a sense, this is this is a deeper sense than I, I've ever known, certainly in my lifetime. Uh, people are very concerned that we're gonna lose the country. It's a combination of the violence in the inner cities, uh, COVID tyranny, the attack on basic liberties, First Amendment, Second Amendment. Uh, it is the open border policy. It is uh, weakness abroad, culminating in this disaster in Afghanistan. Um, people have a real sense that we're about to lose the country. And so people want, to, people want to get engaged. They want to do things. At the same time, when they look out, you know, they also want to see that there are Republicans who are really willing to fight for them. They want to see that there are Republicans who are really willing to stand up for them, not for career politicians, not for insiders, not for lobbyists. And right now, I think that there's a tremendous amount of despair in the country, there are a lot of patriots who are ready. They are ready to sacrifice for this country, they're ready to sacrifice for their kids, for their grandkids, but there's also, uh, there's a lot of despair and what we have to do as patriots, as leaders, is help people to take action, help people to recognize that we can take our country back, that America has been through tremendous periods of revival, and we can have a revival of the republic again. But it's going to take all of us, not just people who are running for office. It's going to take all of us to step forward as citizens, get engaged. And if we do that, people recognize if we do that, we are going to take our country back. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a very – Very strong year, not just for people who are opposed to the Biden administration, but for real fighters who want to stand up and serve people.
0: Now, that is what is uh, we're going to be watching so closely, chronicling every day here at Just the News, including your race, Eric. Hey, I appreciate every time you come on, we learn something. The stories you told me at the border are going to be re- bouncing in my head all weekend long. These are important things for people to hear. You get on the ground, you get real intelligence, and that's what you brought us. And uh, we wish you well. We'll get you back on the show pretty soon. you got a lot going on, so we'll try to get you back real soon.
2: Sounds great, sir. Thank you so much.
0: It's an honor to have you on. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. Angie's List is now Angie, A-N-G-I, the nation's largest home services marketplace. And they're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project is, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. That's what you want, right? I'm uh, thinking about building out my basement in my cabin, I've been perusing Angie looking for just the right contractor to get it done the way my wife and I want it done. Now, Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and right in your neighborhood. That's important, right? You can do comparative shopping. Get started today at Angie.com. That's A N G I or download the app today. The app and the website are free to use. Angie.com or the Angie app. Go check it out today. All right, folks. What a Monday. Two interviews. I'm exhausted. That was some great information. A big thanks to Tom Fitton and to Eric Greitens for giving us two momentous stories. One, a reaction to Christopher Steele. The other, not surprisingly, an amazing look at the border. Things that you don't know occurring at the border. You know, Eric Greitens talked about the border passports being dropped so people won't have identities because it makes it easier for DHS to let them in illegally. And then you you find out where they're from. You heard that incredible anecdote of picking up the passports and looking through them and seeing where those countries came from and countries that don't have our best interest at heart in some cases. That's a pretty compelling story. And I'm going to point you to one other thing that's on the website right now. Bethany Blankley, who we've had on this, broadcast our reporter who does a lot of our great at the border work in texas and arizona she has a story this morning there are forty-five thousand unaccompanied minors who illegally entered the country for whom the us government the biden administration does not know where they are they're missing as far as government records go now these are the most vulnerable of vulnerable entrants into the country they're children without their parents and the united states government after allowing them into the country says it doesn't know where they are, who they're with, who has custody of them. Does that sound like due diligence, like responsible government? So check out that story by Bethany Blankley. All right, great day today. enjoyed it a lot. Tomorrow, my good friend Peter Schweitzer, the author, the journalist, we're going to talk about the remarkable run of stock luck, if you call it that, that Nancy Pelosi and her husband, Paul Pelosi, have had while she's been in Congress, millions upon millions made. He first exposed this in 2011. The issue is still there a decade later, even though Congress in the interim passed a thing called the Stock Act to create greater transparency and to ward off efforts at insider trading by members of Congress. The concerns are still there. And Peter Schweitzer is going to bring us up to date tomorrow. You don't want to miss that. My good friend, the great author, the great journalist, Peter Schweitzer, journaling us tomorrow. All right, folks, until then, may God bless you. May God bless this extraordinary country, the United States, as he always has. You've been listening to the John Solomon Reports podcast from JustTheNews.com. Thanks to our good friends at BrickHouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say.